Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about The Notebook? We're going to discuss that today with our very special guest. But before we do any of that, here's a sneak peek of the conversation ahead. I remember there was a line in the review that said, bring your tissues. So in the opening sequence, when they're going along the lake and the swans are all flying, I'm bawling. And I pretty much didn't stop crying the whole movie. And then once it finished and I found out that they died together, I cried for another seven hours because I kind of realized that I could never love like that. Hey, I'm Mark Ellis and Jacqueline Coley, I'm looking at your screen and I notice you have a new screen. What is that beautiful object behind? Is that where you're going to be watching the Packers in next year's Super Bowl? You know what? Shut it. Shut it. I'm still upset. That game is going to be like my Vietnam. Don't send me back. But yes. <laughs> I'm, my my new home setup in my new apartment is a work in progress, but eventually, you know, I'll be able to put maybe pictures of, you know, Allie and, you know, Ryan Gosling in that passionate embrace that they had to recreate for like 18 years. This was the original Wakanda forever, let's be honest. <laughs> what was the original Wakanda forever? The notebooks, like, let me lift up my girlfriend and take a picture. I'm so happy Instagram was not around at that time. <laughs> Uh, so much water wasted. I still go back to like you you have the lift from 1987's Dirty Dancing, right? And I yeah. was actually at a wedding. I've been to two weddings where people have attempted the lift. Neither person died, which is good. But so at Josh's wedding, um he him and Amanda like practiced it and like they did the lift and, and it was and it was fine. At my friend Jen's wedding, her and Cody, Cody did the lift and they executed everything. He's a big, burly, like baseball player. They executed it, but then they went for the extra lift up. And then that, like, there was like a head snapping action. Everybody was okay, but it was, it gives me pause to this day thinking about it. Man, no, never, 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 ever. We we jumped the broom. African-Americans, we jumped the broom. And that is, a, is about as much like... <laughs> like distance off the ground that we're trying to get to in, in a wedding setting. <laughs> uh, better than jumping the shark, which is what some people could accuse Nicholas Sparks and his writing of post The Notebook. But that's the movie that we're here to talk about today. It is The Notebook. You know it. 
You may not love it, but it's certainly elicited tears, if not from your tear ducts, from someone in your families. And so that is the movie we're talking about just in time for the big V-Day, Valentine's Day. I want to give a shout out here to Nicholas Bayfield. Not Nicholas Sparks, unless he changed his name to protect the innocent. Nicholas Bayfield is one of our many fans who we love hearing from, first of all. You can email us anytime, RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. And Nicholas said, hey, I, I think this is the right movie to talk about. It's the time of the year. Love is in the air. Cupid's slinging arrows. Let's talk about the 2004 classic, The Notebook, which I was a little surprised, Jack, when this movie is super fresh with the audience score, 85%, but it is rotten on the tomato meter. It's 53%. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you're shocked by it, and I'm mildly, mildly concerned. I'm, uh, I'm thinking that, you know what, we'll, we'll discuss it later, but yes, it is 53%, and it is a movie that has, I think, caused a lot of loves to kick off, but just as many loves to end. Ooh, yeah, you talk about a tumultuous, uh, multiple tumultuous relationships in this movie. I have a funny story about seeing this movie for the first time that we'll get to at the end of the show. But right now, people hear The Notebook. And if you haven't seen The Notebook yet, we're going to be talking pretty in depth about it. But I think it's OK for you all to listen to and to guide you along to hold your hand and walk you down memory lane is Jacqueline. It's your turn to do the synopsis of the movie. Best of luck. Yes, we're talking about The Notebook, which of course is the romantic drama based off of Nicholas Sparks' novel. And the man is like the John Grisham of white people falling in love. And I say that with all kinds of love and affection. This particular couple we are dealing with is Allie and his and, and his and her man, who is played by two different characters, both Ryan Gosling and also James Gardner. Jenna Rowland plays the older Alan, Allie, and Ryan Gosling plays him as he is younger, Noah. So this is one of those stories that's told in two separate chapters, and it kind of unravels and unspoils the fact that while Jenna Rowling is in a nursing home, clearly affected by Alzheimer's, she gets a male visitor by the name of Duke who tells her a romantic story. And so we learn the story of Allie and Noah falling in love. And at the very end, we realize, oh my God, this is the Allie and Duke is the Noah. They have a great moment together of love and then it all goes horribly wrong. Either way, it is a story of love across generations that gives people terrible advice on how you should conduct yourself in romantic relationships. And it's set... <laughs> through the 1940s up until modern day and directed by Nick Cassavetes, starring his mom, Jenna Rowland, something that men in the Cassavetes family really like to do. Jack, that? that was perfect from what I heard. Here's the great thing about the way you just did that synopsis is that I turned it over to you for the synopsis. Immediately upon that, the, my meeting crashed, and so I had to leave the room and come back in, and I rejoined just at the end. I, I missed all of the, the tumult. I missed all of the drama. I just got to hear, oh, well, good. I'm glad it worked out for these kids. And so this movie was very breezy to relive upon your synopsis that I heard a quarter of. And honestly, in my opinion, you got the better viewing. Like just <laughs> right there. You, that is the best way the notebook is going to be given. Y'all know the name of the show. We're about to talk about whether Rotten Tomatoes is wrong or right. Before we get to that, we got to welcome in producer Lucy, who I believe is a big fan of The Notebook. Lucy, is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong here in your humble eyes? Uh, I think they're I think they're right. I do like it on one level, on my emotional level, and on my 
logical level, I do not like it. So I'm I'm split 50-50. All right. Well, one of the many reasons why we love you as a great producer is because you book us fantastic guests like our star here today. She's the creator of Geek Bomb. We've worked on so many different shows over the years, as she also has with Jacqueline Coley. She is the one, the only Miss Maud Garrett. Maud, hello. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm so good. Um, yeah, this movie, it's so interesting. I didn't think that there were other perspectives on it. I just thought that there was mine and it was the only one, which was that this movie is amazing. So this is super interesting to hear that people are like, meh, or like, yeah, it's not that great. And I'm like, what? <laughs> is this the same Yours movie? Yours is the most important of the opinions because it belongs to you. And I mean that to all of our listeners out there. Or if you're watching us on Peacock, your opinion is the most important one. Right behind that is obviously mine. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look at this and, and I say, this movie, is it fresh or is it rotten? I think you can have a fresh movie with a lot of rotten elements to it. So that may be where I'm inching towards with The Notebook. And we're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about what we liked about the film itself. We're going to talk about some behind the scenes, have a viewer email or two, a listener email or two at the end of this. Maud, you get to kick us off. 53% is the notebook, which is rotten on the tomato meter. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? Rotten Tomatoes is so wrong with this one. The fans got it right at 85%. I feel happy with that. But this movie to me has stood the test of time for what like a true love story is um, and a powerful love story at that because it lasts a lifetime. I think that this really put Rachel McAdams and uh, Ryan Gosling on the map. Their chemistry was amazing. I think we got the best versions of those. And I, <laughs> this movie makes me cry thinking about it. And so, like, for a movie to have that kind of impact, I think it's, like, it deserves all the freshness because it's, like, don't they say that if a movie can make you think and feel, then it's doing its job? Well, I'm, like, it feels galore for this movie. That's the real test for me, Jacqueline, is can I make it through this podcast? Because I'll, just, I'll tell everybody right now, I did cry upon rewatching this movie earlier this week. I cried twice, which we'll talk about. Jacqueline, is the movie fresh, though? Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? Do you agree with Maude? No, not even in the slightest. Sorry, Maud. Uh, look, I actually was lukewarm on this movie before we went back to rewatch it. And Lucy is going to be like, what? This is not what we talked about in the pre-show meeting. But I watched it again last night. And oh, my Lord, my 2020 eyes cannot unsee the problematic nature of this movie. It is problematic boots down. It is the toxic love affair set to some really great music. OMG. Ugh, I can't. I can't with this oh, movie. Oh, I love so this. So Rotten Tomatoes is, is, is wrong for the 53. I'll give it a 40 for the sex and the hotness, but Lord, Whatever. this movie has problems. The 53 is way too low for Maude. It's too high for Jacqueline. And this is a pivot. I love when this happens on the show because we have meetings, we have discussions, we talk about movies, how we felt. And sometimes you rewatch a movie, you don't have time to communicate with everyone. And that's apparently what happened today because I rewatched it too, Jacqueline. I'm going to say the Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because I think that the notebook. <laughs> it's going to come out of my mouth, deserves to be fresh. Now, I'm not saying it's fresh like I'm not looking at this with with that hard eyes emoji like Maude is. I, I think that this movie would be happy at 60, 61, 62%. So it's a good love story. It might have taken us down a very dark path with the rest of the Nicholas Sparks materials we've gotten since then. We might have been opening Pandora's box, but 
I'm curious as to what critics were saying at the time of its release. So let's get in the time machine way back to 2004 for the favorite time of all of us on the show because we get to take a break and listen to the sweet, sultry tones of Mr. Tim Ryan, our review curation manager. Tim, let's hear what happened on screen and behind the scenes. Thank you, Mark. You know, sometimes when people are telling me that they didn't like a movie, they'll say, oh, it felt so manipulative. And I always think that's an interesting complaint because on some level, all movies are manipulative. They're trying to make you laugh. They're trying to make you cry or scared or something. And I think what they mean is that a movie was trying to manipulate them and it failed. If a movie's working for you, if it casts a spell over you, you're willing to go with it, even if there's leaps in logic or strayed bits of dialogue that sound kind of weird or something like that. And I think an excellent case in point is The Notebook, which people either find sweepingly romantic or completely corny. The Notebook is rotten at 53% with 179 reviews, but the audience score is 85%. So the critics were split as to whether or not it cast a spell, but the audience seems like it was very much under its spell. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Amy Biancoli of the Houston Chronicle wrote, The Notebook is a weepy of the most artificial and insistent variety, the kind that holds viewers hostage and expects them to pay in body fluids. Will it jerk your tears? Maybe. Or maybe you'll just feel jerked around. However, in a fresh review, Ruth Stein of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote that The Notebook is an old-fashioned and occasionally schmaltzy movie that delivers an emotional wallop sure to elicit tears from all but those with truly intractable hearts. And yeah, in addition, most of the critics praised Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams' performances, but whether or not it worked for them was a different story. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And uh, if you're in the mood for love, maybe you should watch In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai. But if you're in the mood for some romance here, there's The Notebook. Oh, thank you, Tim. And happy Valentine's Day to you and your lovely family. Look, he hit on something. And I love that positive review that we got because they mentioned the word old fashioned. And it's it's really not a question of of whether this movie's manipulative or not. It's just, is this the movie? Are these the people that we like manipulating our emotions? And it sounds like, Maude, you you love the fact that this is actively taking how you feel, and just wrapping all of that around its little finger. And Jacqueline, it seems like you're just saying no to this movie. You know what it's trying to do, and you're saying, I let it happen before, and I'm not letting it happen again. I mean, it happened again. Again, I was <laughs> manipulated. I cried when I'm supposed to cry. I did all of the things. But the problem was, is I was so enraged at the first half of it that by the time it got there, it's like, okay, yeah, but I can watch that scene on YouTube and it'll be just fine. And it doesn't glorify this idea of Mr. Toxic, let me assault you, harass you, and basically neg you throughout the movie and let's fall in love. Uh, I can't disagree with some of that, except that it was Rachel McAdams' character, Ali, that was assaulting him. He was ooh, more emotionally ooh. abusive. Ooh. But uh, you have to understand, in 2004, the term mansplaining and toxic relations, like mansplaining didn't exist. So sort of watching it in 2021, I too was noticing sort of like these warning signs and red flags popping up where it's like, uh, go out with me or I'll threaten to kill myself, it's like that's a really poor, like that's a bad tendency. That's usually a sign of like narcissistic behavior. And so I too was like getting that. But I think that how it starts 
sure it's not great in a 2021 lens, but how it finishes and like, who are we to say that their relationship is wrong when the whole movie they're saying that we have flaws, we aren't a hundred percent great, but we have to be together because our love is like so strong and powerful together. So I will agree with you that there are problematic parts in the relationship, but the chemistry that they have together, the beautiful moments, the playfulness, the fun, the dedication that they have, and the fact that they're still together at the end and you know, Noah or Duke is saying that Ali is his home when he's also sort of like trying not to die is such a beautiful thing. And like we talk about moments that made us cry. I remember I read the um, movie review for this and I was like, I really want to watch this because I'm obsessed with Ryan Gosling. Uh, since Young Hercules days, I don't even know if anyone remembers that television series, but Young Hercules was a thing and Ryan Gosling played him. And I was like, who is this dreamboat? Uh, so I really wanted, and like, remember the Titans, I was so about it as well. So I was, I was in, but I remember there was a line in the review that said, bring your tissues. So in the opening sequence, when they're going along the lake and the swans are all flying, I I'm bawling and I pretty much didn't stop crying the whole movie and then once it finished and I found out that they died together I cried for another seven hours yeah, because I kind of realized that I could never love like that that's that's the thing about this movie is that once the floodgates are open to the tears it ain't stopping it ain't mm -hmm. stopping until well after the credits have finished rolling and speaking of floodgates, that's what we're going to open right now because we're going to talk about the on-screen moments of The Notebook, some scenes that we prefer, some scenes that maybe highlight why we don't like the movie that much. But I want to get a thesis statement. Maude, I want you to start. Just Can you give me an encapsulation of, of why you not only like The Notebook, but why Rotten Tomatoes is so wrong? Why you, Maude Garrett, love this movie? I think that by giving it a 53% score and why that's wrong is that it's kind of taking away the impact that this movie has had. Like this is, I think it was like in the research, every single article about the best on-screen couples of all time, Nora and Ali are on it, like without fail. Um, the fact that it's had such a monumental effect on people, that their relationship kind of like lasted through the movie and they became a couple in real life. Like all of these big things, like when you think of the big, the best love story or the movie that makes you cry the hardest or like, you know, the feels upon feels, the notebook is the movie that everyone talks about. So I think the fact that it's garnered that much of a reputation and like what, 15 years later, even more than that, it's still like that movie that just gets you. I think that that is a real testament to the filmmaking and for the actors in it. So I, I think 85% is where it needs to be. Rotten Tomatoes, stop being so wrong on this one. <laughs> okay, Jacqueline, I'm looking at our notes that producer Lucy strained to put together last night and it says, and I quote, Jacqueline, I like this movie, but dot, dot, dot. Okay, sorry, Lucy. Again, <laughs> see, this is the thing that happens when you revisit it because I, I was it. looking I at it. it through 20, it's like 2004. Yes, I am a woman that has watched every single Nicholas Sparks adaptation and I can turn off my brain and enjoy them. However, 2020 Jacqueline, looking back on this, I tolerate this movie because... First of all, like Ryan Gosling and Allie, like at the very beginning, like that whole carnival scene, which when I was like, you know, whatever, I think it was like, like just second, third year in college, maybe that was so romantic. I want a man to nearly kill himself to get a date with me. He is 
harassing her and basically emotionally blackmailing him. It still doesn't work. He continues to harass her on the street and it's just this idea. And why does he do it? Oh, it's not because he had a conversation with her. It's not because he knows anything about her as a person. It's because he just saw her across the room and like, I want that. And so let me just go get that. And just, he feels so possessive and awful. Yes, I guess they fall in love. But then also let's talk about the first moment adversity hits. She literally breaks up with him just because her, just because he wouldn't do exactly what she wants. She's a spoiled, petulant, rich girl. He is a completely entitled dude. And actually those are exactly the type of people that end up together. So I will say this, it's an accurate romance in that respect, but I don't love them. The only part about the story that I really love is them as they are older. And that's the same way as is when everything. We all forgive our grandparents, just ask our parents. Cause they look at them like, are you kidding me? These were not the people who raised me. They're being nice to you because they're trying to get into heaven. That's kind of the way this whole thing goes. These are not the nice people that we think they are. And so the only part about the story that actually I found to be really romantic and enjoyable is them as an adult. But when I look back at them as kids, I'm like, you were just like a toxic, horrible couple and you should not be together and more importantly your love has a body count your love has people who are negatively affected for it and that's just selfish so screw y'all i'm over is it that a... do you need a hug no yeah. this is the thing i have i am hug ha hug happy tastic i think what it is is when you're 20 or 18 and you've never actually experienced a love that is a real love that is or 40 under... <laughs> or 40 that is built on mutual understanding and understanding that, yeah, you may not be perfect people, but you're going to try to love and appreciate and treat each other with a level of respect and understanding and to fall in love is not this. This is what girls think it is. And this is the reason why Big ends up with Carrie instead of Aiden the way it should have been. What? This okay. it, movies like this. They had a summer fling, let right? Let me break this up for a minute. But we, then we, they couldn't leave each other. They had to go back together seven years later. So they couldn't get each other out of the system. They had to eventually get together, okay? When you're watching the movie, you're kind of rooting for it, but what I like about this movie, and I guess my overall feeling about the film is that it is such a Hallmark movie from start to finish. I do have a soft spot for Hallmark movies, and I even appreciate them when you have those schmaltzy is a nice way to say it. A satire parody is the more accurate way to describe certain elements of this movie, but despite all of that, despite the laugh out loud moments that were unintentional that I got upon the rewatch, I also, as Jacqueline said, I cried at the right parts and it made me feel it. A lot of that is due to the elder relationship where it's their grandparents and they're at the home and they're trying to connect one more time. But I got to say, I mean, you're building a foundation here. It's like it's like building a house with with blue shutters. You got to have a foundation. And so Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling laid that foundation very well. As a movie, I think it works. If you're looking at the problematic elements of their relationship, you could probably say that about virtually any relationship in any movie ever. So made with from that 10 being years said, before now. All, the all way I will say is I agree with that. But then I also because I needed a minute, went back and watched um whatever it was, the one with um, Josh Dumail and uh, Julianne Huff, the Nicholas Oh yeah, Weiss. with Safe the- Haven? Safe, Safe Haven. Haven. I watched the that movie. Wife. Yes. 
completely a plausible uh, premise, but the, there was those two characters. I'm like, oh, I like it that you end up together. Yes, Julianne Huff, you crazy woman lying about your past. You're not the greatest, whatever. But there was something real there. There was something I felt that was tangible. With these two people, they're just toxic people. And again, I might add, their quote unquote grand love affair has some freaking casualties along the way that just get really glossed over in a way that I don't. Justice for James Marsden. Which we will I mean, get to. Yeah, I, I, I do not envy being in the choice to choose between Ryan Gosling and James Marsden. And she's acting that. like it's some huge imposition. Again, yeah, it's spoiled, a pretty good little witch girl. Well, okay, I, I'm going to have to disagree with the whole spoiled, petulant part because she actually chose the poor guy. She was delivered the life that her parents wanted her to have, which was a rich man who had a lot of wealth, who fit in with like that sort of image. And she walked away from that to have the guy that really didn't have much except this house. As I say, he had, had a pretty love. nice house. She she knew what she was getting into. Let's be honest. If he was still living in that shack, don't know if she'd have nah, made that, that house that he built, that thing is filled with termites. That, that There's a lot of cockroaches in that house he built. Uh, Maude, I, I'm going to ask you for a favor here. Can you give me, just, just to, to, to paint a clear picture of how why you love this movie so much is there a specific scene that you can point to and you can say that look at that that is why the notebook is great there's so many in this particular movie i think the one that um is the most sort of effective i, I found myself sort of like saying the dialogue with the characters because i've seen this movie so much at this stage and i love it but I think that was a vulnerable moment where Rachel is just trying to get him out of the system and to close the chapter and, you know, goes back to the house to revisit him because they saw a picture of him in the paper and um, he's kind of just showing her around the lot and they're going for a little calm rowboat sort of thing and then it starts raining and she has this moment where she's like, there's chemistry here, I still feel something and I just need to know why you didn't sort of like, I waited for you. And then that sort of like build up and the crescendo of, you know, opening this floodgates of memories and love and what they had. And like, you know, when he said that he wrote to her every single day for a year and she was just like, what? And then like, you know, when he says it's still not over. Oh, my gosh. And of course, that ends up being the poster for the movie. But what I sort of noticed this time around is that big old bling ring that she has. That's not his. <laughs> that's another man's. So, you know, looking at the fact that you know she was cheating on him and uh, she cheating on her fiance in that moment it's like oh cool that's like i had rose sort of tinted glasses the first time i watched that so i understand the implications um there's a great article out there which are like six really awful things that these two did in their relationship but four really perfect things and i think that when you look at love it's not perfect it's completely flawed there are so many imperfections and it's trying to fit two people together and there was trial and error in that moment but every single time these two chose love and they chose each other it wasn't over for me i waited for you for seven years and now it's too late i wrote you 365 letters i wrote you every day for a year Yes, it wasn't over. Still isn't over. Yeah, they, they they chose love. They ended up choosing each other. The way that scene played out, Jacqueline, I was getting my Nicholas Sparks content confused because I hadn't seen The Notebook in so long that I was thinking, oh, wait. So while the rain scene is happening and, and they're kind of realizing that they just had a misconnection, that they never fell out of love, it was just like there were there were forces, obstacles in their way. I was thinking, wait, does, is James Marsden going to shoot Ryan Gosling? I could not remember for the life of me if he's going to come down, which, look, in the context of a movie, not encouraging this in real life, in a movie, I could see the events playing out like that. 
Is they that because um, James Marsden was in another Nicholas Sparks movie Rock. where he was? Yes. Like, yeah. And you're getting that all a bit blurry. That's fair. It's, it's all jumbled up in the Vitamix right now. But I'll add on to Maud's point with one of my scenes that I think illuminates why this movie emotionally affects me so much is that they're open in the movie about how we have this relationship and we're madly in love, but we fight all the time. And they almost celebrate the fights like that's part of a healthy relationship is you need to have constant battles with each other. You, you need to yell at each other all the time. And then you just have this crazy sex on the ground of the dining room afterwards. And that is what a normal relationship is. And that stuff I, I'm not a huge fan of, but it all washes away when we're now in the present tense and James Garner who plays the 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 elder version of Ryan Gosling's character is talking to his kids about their mom or their grandma she's already been uh, been taken back to her room for some rest and the kids are trying to convince James Garner who's been reading to her every day in the hopes that she remembers a little bit because she's suffering from Alzheimer's and they say dad look she doesn't remember any of us anymore we got to let this go you need to come back home with us and he looks at them, to his kids and his grandkids, and says, that's my sweetheart in there. That's the first time that I felt the tinge in the eyeball. And I was like, oh, God, this ain't good news. He says, that's my sweetheart in there. And all of the fighting, all of the manipulation, all of the turmoil that this movie has put them and us through and James Marsden through, it's all worth it because of how good James Garner is when he says, Jacqueline, that's my sweetheart in there. Mama doesn't know us. She doesn't recognize you. She'll never understand. We miss you. This is crazy. You live in here? Yeah. You know, we'll all help with Mom. We, we can uh, take shifts visiting. Look, guys. That's my sweetheart in there. I'm not leaving her. I'm not gonna lie to you. I give it old. Look, I, I already know what my second half in life will be. I love old, like I want to go read. I, I did it when I was younger. I want to go read to old people. I love old like old grandmas, old men. And, and when they talk about their partners, my, my grandfather and my grandmother were married for 58 years. And when Ooh. she passed, like I, I were at the funeral, someone asked me how long we were together. And he says 58 years, 12 months, four days and five minutes. Like he knew to the minutes oh when gosh. they said their vows. And I like I'm like bawling that. like a little girl at this moment. And that's my grandpa. So of course. But the reason why it works is it's manipulation. And that's really all it is. And this movie is a brilliant manipulator. And I'm not trying to say that it isn't. Wait, wait, wait. You just said that your grandparents had that kind of love. Yes. But in this movie, when they show that kind of love, yeah. it's fake and manipulated. Because you know why? Because they had that kind of love. But my whole point to you is they only put that scene in there to Mark's point to make it okay with all of the bad stuff that happened before. Mm. They're trying to make you forget about all the fighting, forget about all the manipulation, forget about all of these things that are big red flags that in an actual relationship, they don't make it to the grandpa, grandpa moment. The I only way you- I just don't think wait, that wait. It's, a it's, it's a 2000, there is that kind of manipulation is super obvious in 2020 and beyond. But when this was written and then when this was made, I think that that's sort of like the trope of relationships that we would see time and time again. And I don't necessarily think it's the fault of the movie. I think that we're better for it being able to recognize it so clearly now. But back then, like how many, how many movies in the 50s was it a thing where the woman would slap him and then they would kiss? Like that is a trope in a relationship. But now we look back on it and we're like, that's abuse. 
And that's, you know, emotional manipulation as well. So I just don't think it's the fault of the movie. I think it's the sort of the knowledge that we have now that we can reflect back on that. But I truly think that, what you know, their imperfections and how it didn't work sort of that back and forth, the fact that they were sort of trying but they couldn't not love each other was the story here. All right, Jacqueline, let me hear you out, though. So so, so for do you have another scene that kind of typifies yeah. why this movie will will trick you? Yeah, Even that, you, Jacqueline Coley, who knows you're being tricked. Yeah. And that's what I was getting to. It's like it, it's the manipulation into the separate of it, because the middle part is the part that you have to forget. And the scene that sort of solidifies that for me is the scene that even gets them back together, because in my personal idea is if this was an actual story, they never see each other again. Basically, Allie is doing what you know you do when you're unhappy with your life, checking your ex's Instagram, when she picks up that newspaper and sees that he has built that house. That scene says way more than you can realize. It's him like talking about how he built the house, they take the picture, flash forward to Allie, she's trying on her wedding dress after James Marsden has proposed. They are both moving into a different place. He was building the house in a form of manipulation. He was essentially building the house to say, look, I'm gonna do something with myself, despite the fact that obviously she didn't think that I could. That's the reason why he says, as soon as he built it, he was thinking about burning it to the ground because it wasn't really about achieving something. It was really about showing her up. And then it worked because then she sees it and all of a sudden she can't be satisfied with her life because she sees, oh, he's got this pretty house now and I know what that means and all these other things. The entire moment that led them to reconnect was a form of manipulation. And so it doesn't matter what happens after that. It feels toxic and I know it was maybe based on a, a deep personal and passionate love but it doesn't make any sense these two people don't get to be grandparents that was my whole point you have to make them grandparents is the only way to believe it because if you end the story with just Ali and Noah we know how this ends they're not together in six months is it veil too much are you kidding you look It's a fair point, Maude, is that if they didn't bookend it the way that they did in this movie, I don't know that I'm buying into the just the specifics of the the young relationship, you know, like because where's poor Jimmy Marsden's chance to why can't it, did, did he even know that? um Oh, he built you a house. OK, let me see if I can build you a house. Let me see if I can buy you a bigger house that's wider, that has more blue shutters. It's, the it, house it, is a symbol. It's not the fact that it's a materialistic house. It's the symbol of him wanting to have their lives together. Does it show that when they split up, she was kind of able to move on and was happy and had a great guy? Yes. Was he able to move on? Never. Did he remain obsessed with her and couldn't yeah. ever move past? Absolutely. Is that dangerous? You bet. But the house was a symbol. The whole thing was symbolism of I know you. I know what you want. And I'm going to do what I can to give that to you. Um, I think that it was, th there was like icky moments in there where he was seeing sort of like the, the widow and she really liked him and he had that wall up and she was trying to break it down and that couldn't happen. That oh, that kind of poor marred girl. the existence of the house. But the fact that, you know, everything that she said just on a whim, I want a white house. I want the blue shutters. I want a wraparound veranda so I can see the water and I want to be able to paint. Much. 
So I can see, hey, that's a great checklist. That's, uh, don't kill someone for having a dream. She's, Marge, she's building the Barbie dream house. And then this poor guy, while she's off having a fling, an extended fling that involves financial stability and a good life promised, he is now just tasked day after day with building this thing for her, the Malibu dream house. And he has no he idea if she's ever coming back. He needed a purpose. And that was his hobby. That's what he did to kind of like either find sanity or just remain in his craze. But that's that's the thing that he decided to do, never knowing if it was ever going to see fruition. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, I, I think most therapists would tell you that having a hobby and an outlet is great to help you get over a failed relationship, but maybe don't pick the hobby that's going to make you think about her even more every day for the rest of your life until you see her. Because let's face it, he's building that house. He looks like Kobe in the finals. I mean, he has his game face on. He's growing out his Amityville horror beard. But I, I do want to I want to close out this this on screen talk with letting Maude have the last word because I want you to celebrate another scene that you unabashedly love. Before we get to that, I mentioned that this movie is a little bit of like a hallmarky, and then there's also like parody and satire of like something right out of Saturday Night Live. The father of Rachel McAdams <laughs> is such a just like you could you would not get away with that on Tuesday when they run all the sketches by Lauren Michaels and the guests at SNL. You would not get away with having that character. He makes Colonel Sanders look like a real Southern Colonel. He is such a parody of the rich, overbearing father that you're not good enough for my little girl. And it's the, the guy's just saddled with having to play that role because on the other side is Ryan Gosling's dad, Sam Shepard, who's great. Who just, you're just rooting for him. We can have pancakes at night. Who cares? We're simple people. And the first time you meet Rachel McAdams' dad, I just started laughing out loud. I, I might have laughed so hard that I cried in this movie before the movie emotionally made me weep. I, Jacqueline, the dad of Rachel McAdams, come on. You got to have my back on this. He goes, well, in theory, we're both millionaires, but in reality, we live with a bunch of holes. I mean, I grew up in Alabama, so I've heard that voice. So, no. I mean, I know it's not exactly going to be okay for y'all to hear that, but I grew up off of a, like, my family's, like, city, Hope Hall, which is just north of, uh, about an hour and a half north of uh, Montgomery. Literally, I cannot date in that town because it is kind of a more than likely possibility that you would then date your cousin. 
Hopo. Mm. Okay. So that is a left on a dirt road, left on a dirt road, left right on a dirt road. When you see the house that got burnt down, you've gone too far. That's how you get directions to where like my my mother's family lives. That being said, no, the accent didn't throw me that much. That guy's putting it on heavier, but 1940s, yeah, dude. It didn't, it didn't, oh. I didn't clock it as heavy as everyone else. Now, if somebody talked like that now, yeah. <laughs> but 1940s, oh, no, no. No, 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 no. I also love how um, they were very accurate with the fact with the only black people that you're ever, ever really seeing yeah. are the servants in this movie. That's just like another fun added bonus. <laughs> Something that also yeah, Nicholas Sparks makes you. That of. more yeah. than Gosling dangling from the, uh, from the the Ferris wheel at the beginning, I'm like that feels that feels like uh, you're you're really just come on come on everybody come on Cassavetes come on Sparks whoever's responsible for that. But Maude, I did tell you regardless of what you think of Rachel McAdams' dad, and maybe I'm a little sensitive to that dad character because I'm a comedian, and so most ladies that I've romanced eventually have to meet their dad, and they all kind of have that look like so you're a funny boy, is that right? <laughs> um. Maude, can you just give me a scene that just, it just what is just going to sweep everybody off their feet and make them fall in love with the notebook? I actually think it has a lot to do with sort of like the the father figures of both of them, which is the fundamental differences that they have. One is sort of money bound, kind of like very rigid, um, you know, doesn't actually prioritize happiness, but prioritizes wealth and success um, and has to appear in a particular way. Whereas the other one of Ryan Gosling's dad, you know, there are no rules. If you want breakfast for dinner, so be it. Who cares? Um, and the things that matter the most are sort of like reading poetry with his son. And, you know, the, that, there was such a great juxtaposition between both of those that when we see both of those, um, uh, Ali and Noah finally connect after the movie date where they decide to walk home and they're in the street and he's just like, let's just lie down. And she, she's like, I couldn't possibly do that. Why? And he's like, well, why not? And I think that after hearing Ali's sort of daily regiment of everything being booked out for her, um, you know, having to be super scholarly and not having much of a say, he's seeing these bars being put in front of her where she's just so confined by her life that he's challenging her. He's challenging to break down sort of like these restraints uh, and just to live a little and laugh. And I think that those moments where she laughs and one of the laughs is the best laugh I've ever heard in my life when Rachel McAdam goes, <laughs> I go weak for it. But I really love that moment where you realize why they're so good for each other. The poor, the poor guy with the rich girl, but she's never really happy and he knows how to feel free and to like love. And then it's really interesting when they grow up that it kind of reverses where he actually isn't free because he's so obsessed with her and she is free but can't let him go. But I love that moment. I love that moment where she trusts him enough just to let go. And what happens if a car comes? You die. What? Just relax. Just trust. You need to learn how to trust. I just, I, I'm not sure that they're that they're good for each other. I think that they're infatuated with each other. And I, here's my question to, to both If it was infatuation, it would have stayed a summer fling. Okay. But seven years later, Here's my theory is that this only turned into love, real true love, possibly when they were on the lake and it started raining. If it never rains that day and it's just a beautiful, clear sky, do these emotions ever come to the surface or does Rachel McAdams bottle it up, suck it up, say I'm engaged to James Marsden and I'm going to go marry that man? The second she drove to see him, it was done. Jacqueline? 
even though she lied about the reason why she was going. Like, I just can't. I don't like these people. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't want to see them get together. And James Marsden, let me just go ahead, and since we're talking about him here, even though we were going to talk about him a little later, he's always gotten the short shift. What He was playing second fiddle to Wolverine in the X-Men movies. I mean, and also I will add, he's also a, a white actor who's played very believably with black uh, female co-stars. I loved him when he was with... Um, Tika Sumter in the Sonic movie. He also is in this great comedy, Death in the Family, where he uh, has love interest of Zoe Saldana. I have me a little love in my heart for James Marsden. And I just feel in every movie, why can't he be the one that everyone realizes? I think the only movie where he gets to be the dude is in 27 Dresses and they tried to make him unlikable, which is like the worst kind of casting for James Marsden. In real life, Noah is definitely that guy that you think back on, but that is not the guy that you end up with. I watched, the, uh, uh, we were talking about this uh, uh, comedian the other day, Mark, uh, Taylor uh, Tomlinson, is that her name? The 25 year old mm-hmm. yeah. girl that has a Netflix special. All these women are out here trying to find Channing Tatum when they really need Seth Rogen. And that's the truth. <laughs> you need an actual guy who you have mutual understanding where you guys actually can build something together. And the real love story, if she would have ever been honest with the James Marsden character, who knows? He might have let her paint. He may have given her a house with a wraparound porch. She never gives him that opportunity because she spent so much of her time idolizing this love affair with Noah that she never even gave her chance a no, chance to really love. there was something lo- missing. And that's what I think she realized. Like there, it seemingly was great but there was just something that would she was always left sort of like unhappy or, or there was just that missing piece and it was like almost eating her alive that he couldn't fill this quota and couldn't make her um, ha- as happy as someone else had. And I think that that's, that is just a thread that was pulling slowly and Lon just couldn't do anything about it because at the end of the day he just wasn't Noah. I, I, I feel you on the, the James Marsden getting the short end of the stick mostly. You can't look me in the eye. And and if, if somebody wants to email us, one of our fans wants to let us know who would you take Cyclops or Wolverine, you you you're you're taking Wolverine. Exactly. I'm not I'm not saying that it's a a, a poor choice yeah. in, in that respect, but I'm just saying he just seems to always be cast as the short end of the stick. Yeah, and does. I do <laughs> and I do think, again, not to say whatever, but we're usually masters of our own determination. And if you are the type of person that is gravitating to someone who is withholding as opposed to someone who gives you the world, again, it goes back to the the Aiden and Big thing. And unfortunately, this is something that gets perpetuated a lot in, um, I think, romances. And don't get me wrong, again, I watch a ton of these. I am the romance novel aficionado and I get made fun of it all the time in Rotten Tomatoes editorial <laughs> meeting. I own that. You can give me a schmaltzy love story any, any time. I've seen but the books, this, folks. I've seen yeah, the books she reads. And I have told them about them and they're like ridiculous. Like, they're I mean, great. you have no idea. I problematic. Get the book thing. Yeah, problematic boots down does not begin to do this. I just think this particular movie was so adept and manipulative of not only using these tropes, but prescribing them in a way to make women fall in love with them. And to the point where I think it is a little bit damaging later on, there are now better ways to tell this story, but even then there were better ways to tell this story. I just think this particular one did not do it well. I love your big and Aiden analogy, and I wanna kind of challenge you on one part of that. I actually think that Noah is Aiden, but in this story, 
Carrie does choose Aiden instead of being distracted with the money and the wealth and the lifestyle that she's supposed to have. These Noah are the characters Aiden, from Sex in the City, right? That's 100% it. Yeah, but like Thank Aiden you. and Noah both build furniture. They're not kind of like subscribing to this life of status and socialite, uh, socialism and um, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like in that, like... She did, she did choose Aiden. She got the Noah. She got like she got stripped of the, the societal bullshit that she didn't really want her, like her family made her have it, but she was able to walk away from that. So well, I actually, you know I like that analogy. Yeah. I'm going to put it, I'm going to actually just put this one to the fans. I don't. I think that Aiden is absolutely the James Martin is one, the one that understands her fully and that Noah is the withholding, want what you can't have. Let me play these BS games with you. But hey, you guys watch. You guys give us comments. Who do you think? Do you think the James Marsden cam the character is Noah or Aiden? I, I and I will leave it to at about that. 7% of the audience right now, but we know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, I might be proven wrong. Trust me. I seem to never know what anybody, uh, any, any of our audience thinks about any one of these. Because movies that I thought I was going to get railed at for disliking, they're like, yeah, no, that's trash. <laughs> okay. Here's the good news in all this, though, is that... Whether if you're James Marsden's character in this movie, don't worry. You're you're going to rebound like Hakeem Olajuwon. You're going to be just fine. I could also put the question to Ryan Gosling's character and say, hey, you're going to take Rachel McAdams, whose family hates you? Or are you going to take this beautiful widow who's been through some stuff like you've been through some stuff? Maybe I'll just stay together and build your house together. It's a topic for a different conversation. Yeah. There should be an after show with me, Jacqueline and Maude. Producer Lucy can come by and we have a lot of cocktails and really figure this relationship out. But nevertheless, we move on now to behind the scenes and industry talk. And when you look at the behind the scenes and the making of this movie, I feel like this movie opened a gateway and I'm just not sure if it's to heaven or to hell <laughs> or just to the river sticks. And we're just kind of hanging out in purgatory because I'm going to make an analogy. And excuse me if I get a little long winded. There's a certain celebrity that you've probably heard of that is trying to make forays into stand up comedy or at least was before the pandemic. And this person was on stage one time and the mic went out. And so the audience is, oh, no, the mic went out. This guy's trying to stand up for one of his first times. And even comics are like, oh, how do you handle this one? Because we've all been on stage where the mic goes out. And then this person proceeded to just not miss a beat, put the mic down and shout a set and get a lot of laughs. And it culminated. And they said, thank you. Good night. Crushed. And, and it was a little impressive. Even if you're a veteran stand up comic, you're like, hey, that was that was really good way to handle that adversity until you go back to the same club the next week. Same celebrities on stage. And wouldn't you know it? The mic cuts out mysteriously at the same time and they do the same exact thing and the crowd's eating it up but wait it's a minute a now i've seen the magic trick i have seen where the ace goes when it's up your sleeve i've seen the rabbit hiding in the hat and that's what i feel like this movie is for the rest of the nicholas sparks kind of career is that this movie kind of trojan horsed its way into our heart and allowed in all of these other things so we saw the magic trick we know how the sausage is made and yet we still went back and back and back and so i think that this maybe set a trend in movies that i'm not a huge fan of but for the isolated film itself i can applaud what nicholas sparks and nick cassavetes pulled off 
Okay, let me just add this real quick though. There are several Nicholas Sparks movies and I will not begin to say that all of them are great or even that all of them are similar other than the fact that they show two white people on the cover usually in an embrace. <laughs> Holding faces. Yeah, and and don't get me talking about the lack of diversity in these movies like and, and some of his more problematic content, but go back to A Walk to Remember, Mandy Moore in one of her first um, serious roles. Those characters aren't perfect. There's some toxic BS. I don't know. Not telling the dude that you're romancing, that you're about to die, is not really a great way to go about things. I'm not saying that people have to be perfect. I'm telling you, as far as the notebook is concerned, as far as what I can see it, without question, these are two of the most toxic people I've ever seen fall in love. Great. Have them have their perfect love affair. But I would just say the only, this particular movie uses the grandparents because it has to. Because I think if it was just the story of these two people, it would not work in the slightest. And that to me says that the movie itself realizes, or in this case, the book itself realizes its fatal flaw, which is that these aren't two very likable people. And that does not mean I do not like love stories with um, uh, people that are problematic in it. I do think imperfect people can find a perfect love. I just think, unfortunately, with this one, because there's so many bodies along the way, it's kind of hard to get all celebratory about these people. Sorry. Is it is it bad relationship and leaning into the, the grandparents to get away with it? Or is it really good storytelling? Because they show you the end and then they go back and forth and so you know but how not it about ends, this but then movie the journey in particular so much is like, like, Maude, do you think that this movie sort of opened up it, it, like you can't blame the movie for the art that followed it necessarily, but do you think that this started a new wave of 100%. less, yeah, like less hard hitting movies that were that were trying to be the Notebook? Oh, super formulaic, and they got worse and worse and cheesier and cheesier. And I actually don't like any of the other Nicholas Sparks movies um, because they tried to do what they did with the Notebook. I think the Notebook was a perfect storm. I think they had Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. I think the timing of it was really great. I don't think they'd had this kind of love story before that was super successful. They kind of used the the template of uh, Titanic, where you have the old person reflecting on the most amazing time of their life through that lens, and you know how it ends. But it's the journey and the story that's important for them. Um, I think that the book sucked, hate to say it. And I actually think that there's so few books that are worse than the film. I think usually the book is so much better than the film because you can do so much more with the characters and like the layers behind it. Whereas you've got 90 minutes of just facial sort of expressions and dialogue and that's it. In this case, I was astounded that Nick Cassavetes was able to do that movie, The Notebook, with the source material that they had because I read that book and I wanted to burn it. It was so bad. By the wow. way, the only other time where the book was worse than the movie is The Princess Bride. Mm. Fun facts. Yeah, Princess Bride, I, I am not an avid reader um, unless it's a biography about Tiger Woods or Van Halen, but I've heard <laughs> that the notebook, the novel, it just does not live up to the actual so movie. There's no. so many few times when that happens, I, Jacqueline, I was looking at the the research by the the splendid Mark Hoffmeyer providing us with each and every week. <laughs> Did you see that this movie was originally who they were going after to play these two roles was yeah. Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears at yeah. one point, yeah. and then How Jessica do we Biel feel about that, and then also Jessica Biel was the one that Ryan Gosling was trying to 
get Rachel McAdams replaced with before they had their little intervention. Um, Britney Spears, I mean, look, it, Liam, Liam, uh, Liam Hemsworth and Miley Cyrus basically became a couple because of a Nicholas Sparks movie. So sure. why not, you know, cash Justin and Britney? It really doesn't matter. These are all generic, interchangeable, very pretty uh, 20, 20 something uh, actors, you know, that, that, that play along in these movies. I actually think Nicholas Sparks didn't start this. This was started long ago with with Lifetime movies and television movies. This was just when those movies sort of like came into Hollywood mainstream and they kind of died off because of what happened after it. I don't disagree with that. They all got generic and even worse. And then Netflix took what was missing and reformulated that and put it on Netflix. And what's really funny is the real champion through all of this who's never stopped what they've been doing and just been chucking along, both with diverse, funny, inclusive stories about romance that also sometimes have something to say, is Lifetime. So these stories have been going on just fine with or without Nicholas Sparks. I personally don't even feel like this one is even in the top, cracks the top five of the stuff that he's done. Nights in Rodanthe is dope. Message in a Bottle is dope. Walk to Remember is dope. And Walk to Remember and Message in this Bottle both came before the notebook the lucky one the one with zach efron another one again if you like these types of movies if you're a person that looks at the lake house and says it's the stupidest movie ever invented that's not a nicholas sparks movie but it falls in that ones that they kept making around this time yeah it's not gonna be your whatever it's not gonna be your choice i don't need these movies to do a lot but i do have to like at least like the care. I think Luca luca guadagnino said very very carefully when he cast his actors I fall in love with them first so that the audience can fall in love with them. Nick Cassavetes had to have an intervention with his two stars because they hated each other so much. And then Just what to- happened? They fell so madly in love. And it's like, you And then they broke tell- up and he married Ava Mendez, which is a much better couple. And they've never talked, and neither one of them talk about their relationship ever again. <laughs> But the thing is, we're talking about their acting and their chemistry, and I absolutely disagree. I think that if this was Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel or Britney Spears, this would not be the same movie. I think it's 100% the reason that we had Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling together. They are a force together. And ever since then, like, Ryan Gosling did so many super successful rom-coms because he really does nail the rom-com genre, and Rachel McAdams had massive success with time travel, but that's a whole other story. But I think that these two together are what makes the movie work, and I think that that's why a lot of the time the Nicholas Sparks movies don't work as much because they don't have this fire burning between them. And you see it on in every scene they're in together. It's palpable, their chemistry. Also, have, this is producer Lucy, appreci- sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Lucy. Uh, I, I saw you reacting to j- Maud's, yeah. uh, Maud's rebuff of right. anybody else in this movie. It just doesn't work. It doesn't. Also, the acting is what holds this movie together. So no, Justin and Brittany would not make The Notebook what it is today without two powerhouse, actually four powerhouse actors, including James Garner. So across the board, probably a terrible script bad source material but the actors made it what it is i just had to say that because i feel very passionate about it (laughs) that's what we love on this show we love passion and and i love being enlightened because i i'm still gonna go with i I think this should be a fresh movie but so much of it does rely on james garner and gina rollins being the old version of that couple and jack when i never kind of contextualized it like that where watching this movie just the flashbacks i'm eh, yeah whatever i'm rooting for him i'm not really emotionally attached there's something about People of a certain age who have their AARP card, who've been through stuff, and if they can still 
live together. I don't know, though. James Garner seems awful happy for the most part at the end of this movie. He's joking with the hospital staff. He's seeing his kids, his grandkids. He gets to read his wife. I think that they might have fought so much. A little bit of him is happy that he just gets to have this, okay, I'm just going to talk to this person that I love, but my God, would she annoy the hell out of me. And now she doesn't remember any of it. And it's not the worst situation for me. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you on that. Uh, and the other point that I was I was just trying to make about that is we get to skip all the middle portion. We get to skip all of the messy part of actually being a couple, learning to live kids. together, having kids, having to raise kids together. And there is nothing that I saw in the first half of this movie that makes me think that when they were having to go through the hard times that every relationship would have to go through during the time frame from them being what? 2018 through the end of the movie when they're probably in their 70s or 80s. Again, I just don't think those two have it in them to make it through that. So the only thing they can do from a writing standpoint is just show them at the end and say, look, they made it. But that uh, is the entire point that they're making. They were so tumultuous. They were two sort of tornadoes that kept breaking each other down. But as soon as they made the commitment, as soon as she walked away from another man that she wanted to commit to, as soon as they decided to choose each other, like, who are we to say what happened in that blank? We know what the end result is, and that is the happiest man who is stuck by his woman. So who's to say that when they had kids and when they went through that really tough shit that they didn't uh, walk away from each other, they didn't break up? That I, To me, like, with this kind of love story and how they're telling it, they got better with every single year they were together once they'd made that commitment. I just hope there was a therapist involved, and in that case, maybe you're right. I'm sure there probably was. A therapist had to get involved in this relationship at some point. My 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 hope is that the therapist got involved and that also her parents softened up and his his dad is you know, um I guess he doesn't have the family structure towards the end of the movie that she does still. So I hope that everybody can come together. I hope that her and James Marsden remain friends. That's how much I'm rooting for this. I, I don't know that it happened. I think Marsden probably just moved on with his life, but you'd like to think that they everybody was friends at the end and that the most tumultuous the most frenetic parts of this relationship were what we saw on screen however given the fact that they had kids multiple kids i did i think there were some other fights that they might have skipped over so she's dating a guy who's obsessed with her he is dating someone who has a lot of issues in her head and she needs to untangle those to find what she really wants and in the end it started raining just in the nick of time so i want to move on to a fan email that we got you guys are from... so not romantic <laughs> it's like killing me this is such a beautiful story like the end result is the most important part um, and it's like yeah but they probably weren't really happy and it's like the, the, the story is that they are yeah but where's my the idea romance of, where's I'm, the love i i might be I'm the most romantic, romantic. Oh, no. i might be the most romantic out of any of us you know i'm why? wearing because... pink on a pink set because i'm romantic damn it <laughs> yeah but i don't want any of the i don't want any of the conflict if you're telling me oh yeah we love each other but we fight all the time i'm like then you're not supposed to be together bottom line that's not your choice to make if they're really truly happy if that works but, for them who are we to be like this isn't okay wait okay, wait wait well, y'all y'all are saying that if you fight you you can't be together no, no, I'm saying if the fighting is, let's be honest, like, let me just put it, the fighting and the f***ing is all these two people have. <laughs> Thank you. But Aww. some people require, like, they're addicted to that kind of drama, and if that's each other's jam, then they're a really good match. And they need lots of therapy. I'm not saying that you're wrong that these two people belong together, I'm just saying that's just not the type of love that I find is lasting. Their love was so strong, they died together, hand in hand. Look, 
I might not be the most romantic, and maybe I have a cold, dead heart, but I'm telling you, Lucy, you, Jacqueline, and you, Maude, I am happy to read you the story of your life when we're in the old folks' home <laughs> together. Our engineer, Christian Rubalcaba, you're on your own. We have a fan email that came in. We love getting these. Again, RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. And this one is courtesy of Stacy D. I figure we do the first name and then I'll say the last initial so you know who we're talking about. But maybe people don't want all their business out there. Stacy says that this, The Notebook, is an objectively terrific movie and reviewers Oh, sorry, apologize. Mark. Sorry to pause you. It's not about The Notebook. It's about... Um, a knight's tale. Sorry, oh. they're, they're, this is a fan suggestion. How am I supposed to know that I know. she's referencing? <laughs> Sorry, this I just realized. I just realized this is just been, this is unrelated. Talking about the Notebook, all and now I'm seeing that. And and by the way, what why I thought Stacy was talking about the Notebook is because her entire email is in caps. She left the caps lock on and then apologized for it, but she really wanted us to know that her opinion of a knight's tale means that. Some reviewers should apologize, and her opinion is not a hun- is not only a hundred percent correct, but it's also shared by many. So, Stacy, Stacy's emails got it going on. I'm with Maud? her. I'm Maud? with her. A nice tale. Oh my gosh, it's a cut. I-, I watched it in the cinemas when it came out when I was on a date. Didn't get a kiss, but that's okay. Um, I think that this movie was so miscast. I think it's actually probably the most miscast leads in any movie. Surfer bro Heath Ledger being a knight, and then Shannon Mossman, who looks like the most modern sort of person ever, being in a period movie. But this is where I learned that Paul Bettany is a genius, and then Alan Tudyk is just going to go so far because that ensemble that they had, so good. The soundtrack, all of it. What a great movie. I love it. Yeah. I remember the soundtrack. I remember seeing the ads for it and being like, wait, but but they didn't have Queen of David Bowie back in medieval times. <laughs> then I was like, well, maybe you can enjoy the movie, Mark. Maybe stop being such an <laughs> asshole. And then I went to go see it in the theater and I actually ended up really liking it and thinking, this Heath Ledger kid, this guy could be going places. So before we before we say goodnight here, I, I promise this story and, and I'll try to make it as quick as possible. I'd never seen The Notebook before. This is like 2012, 2000. And a very good friend of mine to this day comedian um i won't name her name but if you've seen me do stand up we've actually joked around during q a's and stuff on stage about it um we were both single and it was valentine's day and so she invited me over and kind of jokingly she's like oh yeah we should watch the notebook because she loved the notebook and i'd never seen it so i come over i bring some chocolates it's valentine's day i'm not looking for anything by That's the way smooth. okay I'm, but i'm just do i'm it's gonna be a fun lark and I we'll talk chocolate. about it We're sitting there on the couch and we start the movie again, never saw the movie before. So we're sitting kind of afar. It's like an extended sort of love seat. It's not quite the three cushion couch, not small enough to be a love seat. So we're sitting there and there's some space between us. And then I notice as the movie progressive, the space between us gets a little less and a little less and a little less. And so I just don't think it's a good idea. I, I, and I'm sure she didn't think it was the same thing, but you know, you can put emotions aside for one night and then regret it the next morning. I'm not really that type of dude. I, I, I want to know what I'm getting into and I want to think about the next day and the next week and the next month and how that's all going to play out. So anyway, long story boring. The movie gets me at the end. I get a little emotional, as does she, but never made a move. Did not make a move. And she, to this day, is like, why didn't you make a move? Not because she dreamt of Where some life Where was the Nicholas me. Spark between you two? <laughs> I just thought it was a better idea. Very attractive. 
And we, it, I just didn't think it was the right play to make. And Is I'm happy to say- Is it because you had snot running down your face and that the kiss would have just been real funky? Because like, honestly, if there was the notebook, the last thing I would want to do is kiss someone while I'm doing the <laughs> kind of cries yeah. that I do watching this movie. Yeah, I don't know that a movie. Uh, anyway, so I this was. Is, this is not a get it on movie. This is a I will never love anyone unless it's Ryan Gosling movie. That's which a is what thing. I legitimately thought when I was like 18 and watched this movie for the first time, which is why I cried for so long. Jacqueline, is this bit. not a movie you put on and then you romance Netflix. your Netflix and chill? I mean, I think it was the Netflix and chill movie before that, but I'm a weird girl. I want to bore somebody with the with a movie that's in subtitles to make sure they're paying attention to that. And then if you survive that, you'll get the chill of your life. <laughs> right. Well, Jacqueline. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it to you 30 minutes into the film. No, you need to dedicate yourself to an hour, probably a two hour movie at least. And because then the, the talk afterwards to see if they and got the talk afterwards the to make sure they understood yes. the themes. There's mm -hmm. a test. My favorite Jacquinism of today. It should be like a, a Tina Turner album is, or a Pat Benatar tune is "Love Leaves a Body Count." That yeah. is that is good, good stuff. Um, we're gonna close the up shop here in a second. I do have a, a quick movie trivia question to ask both of y'all, but before we get to that, Maud Garrett, it has been a absolute delight hearing you passionately champion. You love this movie as much as Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling love each other. And I think that that is something special. What are you working on right now? Where can all the kids find you? Uh, I'm doing a bunch of stuff over at Geek Bomb. So I'm streaming regularly over there on twitch.tv slash Geek Bomb. And every Wednesday night, you can catch Book Club on Nerdist's YouTube and Geek and Sundry's Twitch as well. And just in case some of our listeners have seen The Notebook a thousand times, so it's just not for them. You got a good movie, TV recommendation out there everybody should be checking out? So I actually love Rachel McAdams. I think she's fantastic. I think she's an amazing chameleon. And keep in mind that just two years before this, she was Regina in Mean Girls. And we, you just saw a 180 happen in front of our eyes. So going into the true love story that leaves you wounded about time with Donal Gleason is amazing. It's not just a love story. It's a life story. And there's relationships with his dad in there. But it just gets you in the gut. There were snot bubbles when I watched that in the movie theater as well. I ran out of tissues. I cried so hard. Okay, well, I no feel a lot after that movie either. Then, <laughs> no. um, okay, so I, I here's my movie, and actually, it's like Maude and I practice this. So, my movie trivia about the Notebook is actually about Rachel McAdams. So, the Notebook, fifty three percent. That's rotten on the tomato meter. But Rachel's made plenty of fresh flicks in her career. What is the top rated movie according to the tomato meter? of Rachel McAdams sitting at 97%. Is it Mean Girls? Jacqueline? Rachel McAdams movies that she has been in. Spotlight. Lucy, do you got a guess? Doctor Strange question mark? I have no idea. Jacqueline Coley is our winner. It is uh. Spotlight about the Boston Globe breaking that scandal up there. 97%. Golden Globe winner, I mean, meter. Oscar winner that year, right? That is yes. the quintessential movie, too, that I would put on. For <laughs> 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 my Netflix and chill, be like, pay attention to this shit. <laughs> well, you can watch, you can Fandango now and chill this movie. It's currently on Fandango now and Voodoo. And Jacqueline, like we said, we love hearing from the kids. Where can they hit us up with all their opinions, with all of their caps locked 
emails. Yeah, send it in caps, cap lock, send it in all lowercase too. I like people, you know, for the introverts out there, if you want to make your email soft spoken, we will still take it at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. Please email us, let us know your picks, let us know what you're thinking of the show. Also, wherever you are listening and or watching this, please do not forget to subscribe and rate, review, tell your friends, and also be sure to turn over to Peacock. The Peacock channel on Rotten Tomatoes has going to have a bunch of our podcasts and a bunch of other great content, including a couple of shows hosted by me and Mark. I like to call it um, Mark Ellis Presents Peacock by Rotten Tomatoes because <laughs> he is he is all over there. And it I is. also, Maude, I want to really thank you for being here because I know that I'm going to be the curmudgeon of this episode because I'm very well aware that the internet and most people are on your side. So you, you're gonna, you may have been in the minority on this side of the conversation, but trust me, when it goes out to the world, they're going to be like, screw that. I love this movie. I, so just, just don't worry. You're, you're going to end up on the right side of it in the end. Yeah, but I mean, you do make really good points about the toxicity of the initial parts of their relationship. And like, honestly, it was only this watch through that I was like, oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, look, if you think The Notebook had a manipulative relationship in it, wait until next week's episode because we're talking about that boat that sank. Titanic. Was that a toxic relationship? Ooh. Whew. I don't I mean it was definitely not the best of relationships between the boat and the iceberg, but we're going to be talking about the James Cameron 1997 epic movie crushed at the Oscars, made stars out of Leo and Kate. That is next week's movie, Jacqueline Titanic. That one we we might need like a full 3-hour show and we'll be playing just like the band on the Titanic right down with the ship. For Maud Garrett, Jacqueline Coley, Producer Lucy, Christian Rubalcaba, esteemed review curator Tim Ryan. I am merely Mark Ellis. Thank you all for listening to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Do that like thing, review, rate, wherever you enjoy your podcast. Let them know that you're listening to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. And we'll see you next week. All aboard. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.